Since this is my last year as senior minister at Christ Church, several people have asked how I've been feeling about my last Holy Week after 35 years in this role. In truth, I don't feel especially nostalgic about this, but, but what I would say is that I will always, always have a special heart place for the sanctuary of Christ Church. From the very first time I walked into this space in 1979, the year of my ordination, it has felt like home, like a true sanctuary for me. And it pleases me that during the pandemic, we were able to completely restore and renovate its astonishing beauty for the 21st century. So this particular Easter feels a bit like the coming out party of Christ Church 2.0 a resurrection celebration staking a claim on the church's future. When I eventually permanently landed here in 1987, I had just read The Quest for Beauty by the existential psychologist Rollo May, in which he recalled scenes from his lifelong search for beauty, among them a visit to Mount Athos, an ancient peninsula of monasteries attached to Greece. He was recovering from a recent nervous breakdown, and one morning he stumbled upon the celebration of Greek Orthodox Easter, the tail end of a church service that had been proceeding all night long. The ceremony was thick with symbolism, thick with beauty, icons were everywhere, incense hung in the air. The only late light came from candles. And at the height of that service, the priest gave everyone present three Easter eggs, wonderfully decorated and wrapped in a veil. Christos Anesti, he said, Christ is risen. Each person there, including May, responded according to custom, he is risen indeed. Now May was not a believer, but he reported being seized then by a moment of spiritual reality. What would it mean for our world if he had truly risen? Now, if it were within my power this morning, I would create the same context that gave rise to May's inspired spiritual clarity. One of those rare moments that catch us by surprise when all of our spiritual senses are on fire. All there is for the moment is the haunting, transcendent, mystical question. But for all of the Byzantine architecture here, the mosaics and iconography of this beautiful space, it isn't Mount Athos, and likely you haven't been on a conscious lifelong quest for beauty. We're located just off a bustling sidewalk in New York City, and you know well what it's like out there. The set location for the relaunch of television's 30-year run of Law and Order. And you're following the news about the subway shooting in Brooklyn. Though you're in here, in this virtual space, you've brought awareness that out there, we're awash in guns, civil discord, and a brutal war in Ukraine. On Mount Athos, beyond the dramatic setting, church is pretty much all there is. Rollo May was part of a captive audience on that special day. Still, all the more reason that if I could, I would do everything in my power to have you consider the question. You haven't forgotten it yet, have you? 
What would it mean for our world if Jesus had truly risen? Now, we don't have a lot of time for cogitating this morning, and I, and I know that when you leave this space today, the culture out wherever you are isn't particularly hospitable to the sorts of things we say and do in here. Monks and penitents and pilgrims on a quest for beauty will not immediately surround you when you step out onto Park Avenue or any other road anywhere in our nation. At best, it will be majorly indifferent to what goes on in this space. So since we have just a short time, I'll ask the question again with a personal twist. What would it mean for you if he truly is raised? The middle-aged man came to tell me his story. Not so long ago, he had been stuck in a loop of anger, regret, and depression. He couldn't let go of the past. Over the last decade or so, the memories of his father's brutal physical and emotional abuse had clarified. He had found a compassionate counselor who helped him organize his life better. And though he had become quite successful, by his reckoning, he had amassed a sizable fortune. He couldn't let go of the pain and humiliation and consuming anger. But his real issue was this. That had all happened 30 and more years ago. Only in recent years had he awakened to the fact that for the past decades he had lived with his long-deceased father smack in the middle of his life, and the relentless focus had kept him wound up in resentment and bitterness, impacting all of his relationships. Then, one year, he walked into this Byzantine sanctuary on Easter, and he heard a word that confronted him personally and directly. And the word he heard concerned the person he was becoming, or, or another counterintuitive way to say it, he experienced a shocking and overwhelming sense of hope for the future. Surprised by a rare moment of spiritual clarity, he realized that he could not heal his past. The past was gone. What he could do was reclaim his future through the power of forgiveness. Forgiveness was a tool of hope. Hope was a fruit of resurrection. It dawned on him that if Christ is truly raised, he could be too. It clicked into place for the first time in his life. Resurrection was actually a present reality, not simply a future hope. He was shocked and awed, and he reported he wept through the rest of the day. These tears were complicated, he reported. On the one hand, they were tears of grief for the abuse and loss of innocence, but, but they were also tears of liberation and joy because he was ready to be released from the, his addictive bondage to his past, addicted to his bitterness. His anger and resentment had come to fashion his identity, and he was ready to let it go, and he was ready to release his father into the hands of God. He couldn't change the past, but he could release its hold on his present and future. That's what he had come to tell me. He felt a thousand pounds lighter. He needed to tell someone who might understand. 
Now, everyone has a unique story to tell, but, but whatever your story reveals, I know for certain it falls well within the range of human striving and all the permutations of success and failure. But there's nothing that could be reported by anyone here that falls beyond the range of redemptive hope. Nothing. That's because if Jesus truly is raised, he has nail prints in his hands. The archetypal victim, put to death on a trumped-up charge, abandoned by his friends. This sorry loser is the one that is raised. Consider Jesus' friend, Peter, the rock, his right-hand man, the one who, at his arrest of Jesus, denied he ever knew him. When he rushed to the empty tomb, he couldn't leave his cowardice and betrayal home with his fishing nets. It came right along with him as he ran to see for himself. And when the impossible truth finally dawned, Peter got his future back because if Jesus had truly been raised, then the world was fashioned far more mystically and wonderfully than he could possibly have imagined. And discovering he had been raised with Christ, forgiven and restored, along with his friends, he would seek the things that are above. That's how Paul phrased it. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Even Judas, if he hadn't short-circuited his options, would have received his future and been empowered to set his sights on the things that are above. How do I know this? Because from the cross of death, Jesus was heard to say this prayer, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. If Jesus is raised, that prayer takes on cosmic significance. Thank God! It doesn't take a genius to see that most of us, much of the time, don't know what the hell we're doing and why we're doing it. If Jesus is raised, this same energy can show up in our lives. That's the inevitable truth. That's what struck Rollo May on Mount Athos in a moment of spiritual clarity. If we are raised along with Christ, we too wind up setting our sights on the things that are above. But friends, this setting of our sights has implications that initially lie very, very, very close to home. I hate to disappoint you, but the vast majority of you will not receive some exotic calling as, you're, as you embrace the astonishing news of Easter that will then transport you to another life. I doubt there's another Mother Teresa among those listening in, although, on the other hand, I wouldn't rule it out either, so, so be forewarned. But far more likely, you'll discover that setting your sights on the things that are above has very homely implications right where you live, right in the middle of your own mundane lives, in your personal corruptions or agonies or failures or woundedness, right smack in the middle of your confusion and uncertainty and doubt, right in the middle of all of that. That's where resurrection can rearrange your worldview. Like the man who came to tell me about the joyful liberation and power of forgiveness he found in this very space one Easter morning. And here, I'm reminded of Martin Luther King's famous observation that 
He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. That insight and wisdom emerged by King's answering Rallomé's question. What does it mean if Jesus is truly raised? And that same wisdom fueled King's passion for justice, another of the remarkable outcomes if Jesus is truly raised. George Weigel calls this the Easter effect. And here's the thing. The disciples didn't get it right away. They didn't understand it. Our scriptures are clear that most of them doubted. How could they not? Don't, don't you doubt some of the time? I know I do. I don't understand it fully. How could we possibly make completely rational sense of resurrection? The disciples are like us. And they held on to the same question Rallo May heard on Mount Athos and eventually began to change. As George Weigel says, the way they thought about their responsibilities changed. What had happened to Jesus, they slowly began to grasp, was not just about their former teacher and friend. It was about all of them. His destiny was their destiny. It concerned their present and their future. So not only could they face opposition, scorn, and even death with confidence, they could offer to others the truth and the followership they had been given. They could experience in their own lives that they were loved and cherished, forgiven, restored, renewed, renovated, like this sanctuary, and that this same love was extended to everyone, everywhere a truth that continues to upend the world to our present time. Friends, take this question home with you. Think of it on your walk home. Hold it in your heart around your dinner table and while listening to the day's news. What would it mean for our world? What would it mean for your own life if he is truly risen.